This is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore humanity. With the final season of Fear the Walking Dead just starting, let's go back to the beginning in the roundtables I covered at San Diego Comic-Con after seeing the pilot in a theater. Let's go back in time. Now, with Fear the Walking Dead, there are some similarities in the pilot episode. The series does take its time setting up the story of two families and how they are trying to adapt to each other, unaware of the upcoming zombie apocalypse. I've seen the pilot, and the best thing is to give this story a chance to develop and get to know these characters. I guarantee you, once things get going, they will get going. And let's begin by getting to know Travis Manawa, the teacher played by Cliff Curtis. His character is romantically involved with Kim Dickens' character of Madison Clark. He has an ex-wife and son who he's having problems with, while Madison has two children of her own. He starts off by saying that he feels Madison Clark is really the alpha in the series. Well, I've been calling her my goddess and my lioness because she's got the alpha does not come from a, a masculine or machismo. It's not like a woman donning the masculine, I'm going to be a badass kickass. She's a lioness. She's a goddess who protects what she loves. And I think that's very, very powerful for a woman to have a role where she can manifest that unapologetically and have a character in a male that adores that in a woman and supports it. And, and is very attracted to that. I, I'm attracted to that as a man. I think it's beautiful when women are in their power and are, are not in, not inhibited by um, their feminine power, you know, and feel that it's a masculine thing to um, be a badass. There is more sci-fi talk. So stay tuned. I don't want to, you know, they're re-coining re the phrase, badass is no longer, you know, the domain of the, 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 the masculine. It's, there's a feminine sort of aspect to it. And I think she's absolutely beautiful at maintaining this tenderness and that, that what she does when she is a lioness to protect them comes from love and there's a fragility and the omega to me of that that I'm doing is is being able to the masculine being able to see um, that that's important and valuing that and wanting to protect that and so to say to say that I need to be the one person in her life that can allow her to be in her power and to, to, to protect that tenderness because it's you don't you don't, you don't want to kill you don't want to kill what is tender in humanity for the sake of being powerful I don't think I think it's a mistake myself and Travis it, it is what made me feel that I had something to contribute to the to the show because I understood that I don't necessarily understand the world of genre it's not my natural habitat as an artist so but I do understand relationships and you and sort of and the value of love and what we'll do for love, you know, and, and exploring those types of themes. And so the, the show is firmly grounded in that, not just the, this kind of romantic or love, but also the love of our children and the desire to, to build a family, a new, a, we're getting, we're at a second phase, we're getting a, a round two second chance at building a family in the show, which I think a lot of families, teenagers, kids, you know, teenagers have had parents and families fall apart or separate or losses have taken losses that second shot at creating a family at 
at a time which is just not conducive to building anything. At the same time, I feel like it's too soon to say, and then I want to see what the response is to the first season to sort of determine like which is our audience because we might have an audience which is, you know, some of that other audience, but it may not be. And and I don't know. I don't know. I just I just want to. I'm interested to see where things land after we've completed our first season. Because at the moment it's a lot of hype and, and a lot of kind of like possibility, which is nice. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see you next year. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's great that we got a green light for a second season out the gate. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah, I, I think the reason why genre stuff is so so uh, loved and 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 enjoyed by audiences is because there is because it, it's divisive. There are clear devices which audiences love. It's like there's a hallway down there, and at the end of the hallway is a door, and the door is locked. Don't go down the hallway, and do not open that door. Whatever you do, it's fun, right? And I think that we get to have What's our cake and door? yeah. I'm not. I can't tell you that. I gotta, I gotta go see. No, don't do it. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, please don't do. It. So it's like. So we get signed up and get our, have to have our cake and eat it. And I think storytelling and entertainment, films and television, you know, the rules, wish the shackles are broken. We're, we're free to blend genre with, with uh, drama. There's no rules anymore. I, I think less and less, as long as it's done well. That's the only rule now. It's like, if you, if you respect the rules of genre and you respect the traditions of uh, dramatic storytelling and grounded authenticity, you're allowed to mix it too, so it can be entertaining and and poignant at the same time. And I think audiences are more sophisticated now than they were, perhaps, and they can they can handle it. Before it'd be like, oh no, genre understand. Genre audiences can't understand complexities of relationship. They don't they don't get that. They don't want real relationships. That's not the case anymore. They analyze these things. Like they, they really are emotionally engaged by what's going to happen to Madison and her kids. They really care. They're not just after like they're not just like eighty slasher movies mine was nightmare on elm street was i was shaken when i walked out of that as a kid i was i I thought i I thought that reality had shifted and changed on me it really affected me to the day i'm sort of like a bit heebie-jeebie about genre stuff to this day it gives me that oh jaws is that genre I thought that was real. That's a hard film. Is it? It's a hard film. Yeah. yeah, for sure, right? I thought it was just a real draw. I took that as real. It's, it's you know, real adjacent. When I was a kid, I wasn't watching that as a, as a genre. I just thought that was real. Like, there's sharks on the water. I eat people. Next is Elizabeth Rodriguez. She plays the ex-wife of teacher Travis Manawa, played by Cliff Curtis. She has a son with Travis and is now living with her son. Her character's name is Lisa Ortiz. There's also a nice comment from Ace Makeup designer and director Greg Nicotero during this roundtable session. It reflects the real world, you know, the fact that, you know, broken families come together. And in this scenario, I think kind of amicably, at least for the adults, um, and you end up seeing, you know, the teenagers... uh, troubles and trying to figure out you know having a lot of anger and not understanding what's going on uh in 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 fact in the world of his father seeing his father not being there i think for my you know i'm very protective of my son um and i'm a single parent for the most part and i guess all i my character uh, cares about is protecting him and that his father 
um, is a man of his word. Uh, and also, as a parent in the show, I think I have absolute empathy for Madison dealing with her son and all those troubles. Then we come un uh, under this roof where even if there is moments of awkwardness in, you know, who, you know who's in charge, very quickly there's an apocalypse happening. There's things happening that doesn't, they give you real problems. So there's no time, you know, you get perspective really quick. And you're trying to figure out what's happening. It's yeah. early on, so they have to be able to, in LA, pass as like homeless people, like, you know, of whatever yeah. that is, until it's now. I'll tell you, what's crazy too is that, you know, I, I live in LA and I lived there during the Northridge earthquake. Yeah. And 4.30 in the morning, boom, like you, I was thrown out of my bed. And the weirdest thing is they say, no, never turn the gas on and never do all these things. You just did it. You know, you ran downstairs, you tried to flip lights on, you tried, right. you instantly did exactly what they tell you not to do because you're sort of shaken into this, right. this you know, uneasy situation. And uh, I remember pulling my car into, into the front door of my house and turning the headlights on because all the lights in the whole neighborhood, there was no reflection of light in the sky because it was 4.30 in the morning. And we went and sat in my car and turned the radio on just to see what happened. So all those kinds of things, when, when I read the first couple drafts of the script, I started thinking about that stuff, you know, yeah. put myself in that situation. I'm like, how do you, so imagine, imagine with, with these guys, you know, I love, you know, the, there's stuff that happens in the second episode, uh, which is one of my favorite scripts. I just thought it was so great when we really get a chance to learn about these two um, and sort of stuff starts unraveling and, and yeah. you know just the idea of like okay well that's my ex-wife and that's my kid and how do I protect them and now I have this other family and how do I protect yeah. you know it's a, it's, a, it's a really fascinating dynamic and I know it's very close to Dave in yeah. terms of who he is as a person this, is a, this show is really a lot a lot of Dave Erickson in terms of his sensibilities yeah so it's a, and also it speaks a lot on Cliff's character that like regardless of of the danger of going and getting his son and getting his son's mother on the other you know far, farther away that uh, his, his integrity instead of just you know going with the Clarks in the midst of uh, you know they're not the they're not the best of friends right now and it talks so much on who Travis is early on. The cast didn't know, I, I hadn't seen m many of them, so the, the Lionsgate, AMC, and producers knew. Um, but like when it was announced, I got some e I got emails from cast that were, some that did know, however, and they were so excited, they were like, you know, super excited and then when I went back on the 10 days that we had off because they had to make it work you know adults had to speak about like because I'm a recur on that um, so AMC was very gracious and generous to let me be able to work um, I found out as I said yesterday in the panel that like two of the producers I was like thank you so much they were like we're so excited for you how's it going we love the show like all of a sudden I'm having Walking Dead conversations which is amazing and then um, Robert uh, called emailed me to say he wasn't coming I emailed him back and then he wrote it's a good thing I'm not there I'd be annoying you with questions about Orange is the New Black and and, and, and you're doing a great the third season is really great by the way and I was just like oh my god this is amazing 
because I think it's these two separate worlds and like the fact that like their their fans cross crossing was just like amazing. I'm sort of t- joking about everything is downhill after this. Like who 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 how how do you do two amazing shows with, with like incredible people, incredible artists from the top to the bottom that are so different at the same time? Really, it's over. I'm gonna just resign after this is over. <laughs> Take up knitting. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Sharing in common with The Walking Dead is makeup designer and director Greg Nicotero. We, we didn't want to do CSI. You know, we didn't want to do a cookie-cutter show right. that was a, the exact same thing. You know, I mean, uh, Rick, Daryl, Michonne, they're larger-than-life characters. You know, we took, a, we took a, a slice of that universe, but we wanted them to be real characters that were, that were grounded. They're your neighbor. They're your friend. They're, you know, it, it, uh, <clears throat> we, had, we had explored after the first couple seasons of The Walking Dead. I directed, wrote and directed a bunch of webisodes, and they were sort of little snapshots of what life would be like around the rest of the world. And that was kind of like, wow, you know, there's an entire world uh, of stories of how people survive and... And uh, I think the one, the one common thread is what happens to people as society changes, as society unravels, who do you become? In The Walking Dead, we explore that quite a bit. And in our show, uh, it's, 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 that's really important thing. One of the things that, that we talked about, even designing the zombies, you know, I had a, because The Walking Dead is a, is, is a genre show, I was always sort of, like I do in The Walking Dead, pushing to make things bigger, and, you know, let's do more elaborate zombie makeups. And Robert and Dave, we had a conversation one day, and they're like, no, this is, this is a different feel. You know, these, the, you have to be in a room and see 12 people, and one of them could be uh, infected, or, 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 and you wouldn't notice it. So we actually pulled back on the the makeups in the first couple of the first episode because you wouldn't want to draw too much attention to it. In the trailer, you see um, you see Frank's character seeing the woman zombie with the knife stabbed in her chest and blood coming out, and you're like, okay, that's he not going to work. He doesn't know how to process that. And then when he starts talking about it, and he's like, I, I, I st- these people were all dead and they were up moving around. And everyone's like, you were hallucinating. I mean, that's how people would deal with it. So um, that was. Was, that was very important was to sort of distinguish our show in that world it's it's very different and, and Scott Kimple and Dave Erickson are different guys so they both run their ships differently you know I'm very I'm sort of interwoven into The Walking Dead so much so that um, I never made it up to Vancouver during the shoot the plan the plan now is, is that when Walking Dead goes on hiatus we start shooting Fear the Walking Dead so I can be I don't have to do double duty double duty Um, but (laughs) they're just different shows so in terms of how how they're managed the zombies you know the zombies are different you know we did zombie school but in in shooting in Vancouver we ended up using a lot more stunt people than we do in Georgia in Georgia we use a lot of extras but I think the rules are a little different in Canada so we ended up using more stunt people and I've shot other movies in Canada that were like zombie movies like Land of the Dead I shot with George Romero and all the all the uh, zombies were all like like Canadian actors extra you know, so it's it, you know the rules are a little different but they're very sweet when you shoot a maple syrup comes out the first episode concludes with two key actors playing the children of Madison Clark 
Alicia Dednam Carey, who played Lexa on The 100, and Frank Delane, who was an actor to watch. He played Tom Riddle in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And joining us is showrunner Dave Erickson, who's worked on Sons of Anarchy and Defying Gravity. Frank Delane kicks things off. Well, it was a big thing, I remember, because you do hit, hits the ground running, you know, in this thing, and I'm very aware that, like, in order to get better, like, I needed to start off pretty bad, I think, you know what I mean? So, like, that certainly was, that first, that f- I haven't seen it, but that first pilot, I remember that, yeah, some pretty intense stuff. Did you avoid the screening last night? Did you not actually see I did. I avoided it. I did. I did. I did. Did you leave just before it started? Uh, yeah. Because he's got to start at rock bottom, really, I think. You know? That was the thing, wasn't it? I remember that's what we kept saying, because I kept on being like, is it no, that much? Or is it like, I know you got to start at rock bottom. No, your concern was, as we were going through the pilot, you felt like every scene was just scraping the bottom of the barrel. You felt like it was and, and oh, I was I think, concerned about yeah. it yeah yeah no it was a legitimate concern it's also when you're shooting out of sequence it sometimes gets you know tracking it gets a little bit it gets a little bit wonky but no you yeah. it's we were just talking about it before I mean the thing I love about I'm Dave by the way <laughs> the thing that um, I love about Frank and Alicia's characters specifically is they are you know they their father died six years ago and they both have reacted to that in very you know different ways and Alicia has become you know she's become the straight A student she ex, you know she's she excels at everything she does she has a very very specific plan of where, what she's going to do with her life and Frank has gone off you know Nick not Frank Nick has gone off the rails and it's in, it's really it's an interesting counterpoint because I do think they love each other very much no one knows the uh, you know even even with Madison I mean I think you you guys know each other better than Madison knows you and also there's as a parent of, of an addict Madison I think there's there is sort of a willful denial at times and there is an enabling quality and even in an effort to save and help you sometimes do more harm than good and what I love about the way Alicia plays Alicia is you know she calls she calls him on his bullshit you know and I think and part of the fun you know fun's the wrong word but part of what's interesting about the arcs I mean you guys can talk I mean you've seen enough without talking about anything that comes next but you know they're going to they're going to go on very um, divergent paths and it's going to be interesting to see you know if you have somebody who's basically been living their own apocalypse for the past several years when everyone enters the apocalypse how is that a good thing or a bad thing for that person and somebody who has been has had a very fixed notion of what their life was going to be and desperately wanted to escape you know is how, how compromised will they be and I think that you know everything that's hopefully the good thing about the show is that every element in the pilot all the conflicts that are really specific to the family drama six seven seasons from now will be if you look back and you track you know the churns and the finality of whatever those arcs might be you can trace them trace them to the pilot and I think to one of the things I hope will continue to distinguish the show which is this groundedness of the family conflicts the dysfunctional blended family what that means 
vaccines and how do we let the apocalypse impact that and exacerbate that story as opposed to you know ultimately succumbing to the overwhelm of you know strictly survival and strictly you know the zombies are there and I think the comic has done that quite well and the show the original show has done that very well in its own very specific way you know and the hope is that because we've allowed ourselves a little bit more time over the course of season one to really invest in these families before we go to a full-on apocalypse I think we we really just get just that much more in terms of character development and richness that we can we can delve into stretch I think I think I've, I've, I've taken on a little bit of, of Robert's calm and, and also I mean this is generally this this monotone is that's that's me consistently for the most part and and it's um, it, it, yes I mean it's I, I think we, we we owe something to the fans and 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 the enormity of that fan base I think we owe something to people who love the comic you know and that's I mean one of the things about the original show and I know you know Scott is a devotee I mean he it's really difficult to adapt and continue to make those little subtle adjustments the way you know Gimple and company are doing and then you know and Glenn and, and Frank before him you know do it in a compelling way that doesn't put off the audience do it in a way that it still feels rich and new and different and of the, of the world and I think that they do they've succeeded in doing that beautifully we we have a lot more license and a lot more a lot more license I'm sorry a lot more license and a lot more flexibility which I think is it actually makes our side of things a little bit a little bit easier but if if you watch the trailer and that's why I, one of the reasons I like the trailer so much is it does it does speak to the scope the apocalyptic apocalyptic scope of the show we definitely will do you know it's a show that is going to be exciting it is going to have the elements of The Walking Dead that people people know and love will be part of the show I just think it's I think we have an opportunity to front load it with you know an intimacy that in all honesty just based on the way that the comic was structured they didn't have time to do that you know and I think that's actually something you know when I first talked to Robert it was really important to him there's a lot of things you write something you know whether it's the comic or a script and then you know a year from now five years down the road you go back and you say why I wish I had done that or I could have I could have gone that could have gone down this road I think I can't speak for him but I think that's part of why he wanted to do this I think it was there were elements of the show of the comic that he hadn't had a chance to really explore or felt they could have you know taken more time with you know and I think that's and that part is fun because that it's it, it, it's there's no shortage of stories the apocalypse is happening and this is not to say we're going to end up you know we will never follow a CSI pattern and although there's a lot of cities I'd, I'd love to shoot in but um, but no I, I think it's yeah there's absolutely I feel it and I don't because I'm a bit of a knob and I don't follow things Twitter and the things that I should be following I don't follow as well as I people tell me like I heard we were trending on Twitter Twitter yesterday after the trailer and I I said that sounds good is that a good thing what's going you know um, and I know I have to I have to I, have to, I gotta step up on that front no it's but. true it's good that, well I know I'm not concerned with things like I mean if, it, if ratings or if that stuff like I'm sure it probably like you know it is it is such a massive show the, the last one that I wouldn't care if it if it wasn't as big an audience yeah. it didn't I really wouldn't care because I, really I think if people 
have a strong reaction against it too. At I least would, it's like yeah. a real opinion. Yeah. That's so, a, but I, I just don't, yeah, I think they're just so different. Well, I think we, I think Nick and Alicia, they've shared an experience that only the two of them can really understand. You know, they were both around the same like age when they lost their father. And, and I think even, I think they, you know, had a good relationship when they were growing up, but I think just because of circumstance, it's sort of fallen a little bit apart. But I think the bond is so, it's, the blood bond is still so strong. And no, there's a, some, I, I, when I watched it too, I was thinking back upon like when we were filming it and that moment of when Alicia goes over to the bed and sits on the bed and it's like, that thing of like I want to stay mad at you because you like you suck and I and like you know it's always about like Nick it's always about you know that being a problem but not actually really being able to knowing that no this is like my family and like not being able to help yourself but to be like no I want to stick together with you with this because you get it and we, we do get it you know I thought that I don't know I, I, I loved how that scene started off so kind of with such a, um, a passive aggressiveness and then I find it very difficult to talk about any relationship uh, objectively like I find it difficult to distinguish you now from you as a character so you know I, I, I love to be around you I feel great it's a pleasure you know what I mean and it's the same thing I suppose that's how Nick thinks as well I find it hard to distinguish which is which is which I think we have a good we have as good a relationship as we do in real life life imitating art art imitating life <laughs> part of the goal with the pilot and really the first few episodes was to make it more about the shark you don't see and to create as much and we we did a lot of we talked a lot about about soundscape and about you know the the, the gentleman who's on the other side of the curtain in, in, in Nick's hospital room it's, the expectation is that guy is going to churn but it was also just something about his continued breathing and just creating this sense of you know this sense of dread without having to you know we open we open with a walker so we go there very very quickly it's a different context but you know and then we kind of let it you know let it sort of slow burn for the rest of the episode and it becomes there's something interesting about the audience knowing as much as the audience does and the audience sort of I hope would be that they're leaning in because they're waiting for a our characters to get up to speed and realize what this world is and how can they protect themselves and then B, sort of following the tropes and assuming certain things. Even the, you know, you know, there's there's a number of there's a number of moments where we sort of build towards I think more traditional horror tropes and then try to try to pull the rug out over the course of the over the course of the pilot anyway. You know, and I think it was, you know, we were I, I was watching, and this actually speaks to potentially a larger arc of the show. But like I rewatch I watch Apocalypse Now, you know, several you know not several times, like two or three times again before and as I was writing the pilot because there's something about the surreal juxtaposition of and they do it on this they do it realty on, on, on the original show as well but for people in the know like Nick 
gets into this a lot earlier than anybody else. He realizes something is very wrong, waiting for everyone else to catch up, and then seeing that against people who are carrying on their normal day-to-day routines. And there's something very bizarre and interesting about that. And I think the more, which is also something I found, that's those surreal juxtapositions in Apocalypse are they just, you know, taking the beach so you can go surfing. Things that, you know, it's like, and that, and that's, that to me, you know, and I mean, we will be approaching things as the seasons play out, I think, in a more novelistic fashion. And I'm, I'm, I'm the greatest, not the greatest, I'm, I'm a complete thief. So I think if you start to watch the show play out over the next several seasons, you definitely, you may see Deer Hunter, you may see Apocalypse Now, you may see, but I mean, that to me, it'll help, again, it'll help hopefully distinguish the longer arcs of the show and the character dynamics of the show. And also, you know, and the reference will, references will not be that obvious because I don't want to be seen as pretentious, but <laughs> I, you know, but it, it'll help. I mean, the threads that are there right now, and I think the sense of paranoia and the sense of apprehension and anxiety in expectation of what's going to happen, I think are to, in many ways a lot more compelling for us for this first season and hopefully season two. Um, if that makes sense. But um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Had a good time. They had a party. They actually reproduced one of the main sets from the pilot episode. It was really a lot of fun. Stay tuned for part two of my Fear the Walking Dead Season 1 Roundtables, recorded at San Diego Comic-Con, coming soon. I'm Tony Gelato.